Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, uh, verse 12. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 12. Can we all stand for the reading of God's word? And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. of uh, introducing our speaker for today. And um, he's going to be speaking on the message of forgiveness, which I believe is so apt and so perfect in God's infinite wisdom. He picked today to speak on forgiveness because I believe a lot of people here need to forgive those who voted for the other side. Am I right? That's right, Gary Johnson. Everybody hates those guys. So um, we... Um, I think this is a message for our generation especially. And um, I had some time to spend with him a few weeks ago and a little bit this morning. I can, I can um, from, from the times that we were together, I know that Pastor Ian Winter is a very generous and gentle man. And uh, that God has really been using him uh, to do his work uh, in many places if you don't know where he's from, I'm just going to give a brief introduction, and I know that he can fill in the rest, but he is with a movement called the Bruderhof, and the Bruderhof originated in Germany uh, in between World War I and II, and uh, they were a nonviolent movement, and when Nazi Germany became, Nazis came into power, uh, they were subject to persecution, persecution and um, even um, threatened to be put in concentration camps in which they escaped first to uh, Britain and then to Paraguay. And now they are here in upstate New York. And because of God's providence, we get to hear this message and how God has been powerfully moving through generations, his faithfulness, his grace, and his mercy. Won't you join me in welcoming Pastor Ian w Winter at this time? And yes, you're right. Um, our country has changed. We have a new government. We have a new president. We have a different form of government. And what's going to be critical for all of us, whatever side you voted for, doesn't matter. The dear Lord knows exactly what he's doing. He always has and he always will. And I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here with you today to speak on this topic of the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness applies to all our lives in every aspect of it. And it's a joy for me to, to speak here today. Actually, what I do, I, I work with Pastor Christoph Arnold, the author of Why Forgive. He marched with Martin Luther King as a young man. If you look at the, if you look at the film Selma, at the back is the raw footage of the original time. There were two white men amongst this sea of African-Americans who marched along with Dr. King. 
And as you know, this movement in America was one about forgiveness. Civil rights was born on nonviolence through forgiveness. And there was great hatred. The Alabama State Police, they, they had dogs, they used fire hoses. And this man, Mr. Christoph Arnold, my pastor, also in the same movement, decided there can only be one answer to violence, and that is forgiveness. Through forgiveness empowers us to be nonviolent. If you pray for your enemy, as we're told to do, it makes you less angry at him. If you continue to pray for your enemy, it might just bring you together. And I've discovered this, this concept over and over again in my own life. I was born in Paraguay, and when I was 14, we emigrated up to this country. My parents were English, British, and here in this country, I went to high school and then went to Penn State, but during that time, the, civil, the uh, Vietnam War began. And it's incredible what happened. Those of us who were draft age were called up to join the army. And I said, whoa, I'm a Christian. What am I going to do? And in doing so, I had to think through, what is my position? Many of my friends went off to Vietnam. And I decided either I had two options. No, I cannot fight this. I am not going to carry weapons. It is against the gospel. If we're meant to love our neighbor as ourselves, surely it cannot involve an M16. So I decided I would take the conscientious objector's stand, and I went before the tribunal in Pittsburgh, and they said, no, 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 you're a coward. Go to war. Here's your classification, 1A. And it was unfortunate. I, I applied again. I retried, and I retried three times. Finally, finally, after my college years, as soon as I was graduated, they called me up. And I asked them, what, what's it going to be? Am I going to be put into jail, or, am I going to, or am, can I be a CEO? And they said, we are going to grant you a conscientious objector stand because you've, you've been consistent with your thinking. And so I was allowed to serve two years. We don't have that draft anymore in our country, unfortunately. So, because I think it forces our young people to think through what, what, what is my stand on violence? How does my Christianity live out in the everyday things that I do? And through that search, I finally joined the Bruderhof movement because the Bruderhof is a nonviolent Christian community. But we're all Christians. You are here because we're Christians. And so that is what I'm, I'm bringing this message to you. This act of forgiveness that Martin Luther King spoke of then applies just as much today. It's an everyday attitude. It's something that has to apply to us in everything we do. Everything. Whether you are seeking a marriage partner, whether you are employed, whether you are a student, whether you're just on the highway driving and somebody flips you the little birdie, you have to forgive. You have to forgive. It's not about them. It's not about the perpetrator. It's about you. And 
it's so many people uh, misunderstand this concept of forgiveness. They think, oh, I can't possibly forgive that person. He'll never change if I forgive him. Nah, he may not. He's just beaten me up. He's just left me for dead on the road. How can I possibly forgive him? If you forgive, he may never remember you again. doesn't matter. It's about you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's right in the middle of the Bible. That's the heart, the jewel. Hang on to that as you go forward. He did. Cost him his life. But he also said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. An amazing individual who led this movement of civil rights. He got it from Mahatma Gandhi in India, who led his entire nation nonviolently to change their government. Their government was changed totally nonviolent. Do you know who else did that? Nelson Mandela in South Africa. He studied Martin King. At first, he was a violent person. And while he was on Roblin Island in prison for 26 years, Nelson Mandela thought about this concept. He was a violent man. He wanted the African National Conference to overthrow the white people in South Africa. And in studying King, he realized it's not going to work. Violence begets violence. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. So we have examples nationally, personally, of people who've used uh, forgiveness to move with their lives towards the kingdom of God. And that's what happened to me. I, in seeking nonviolence and in seeking forgiveness, I joined a group of Christians. We call ourselves the Bruderhof. Bruderhof is a German word. Bruder is brother. Hof means place, so place of brothers. There's women too and sisters. But so we, we live together in Christian community because I think if you, if you truly continue seeking forgiveness, and making it apply in your life with the people you live with, with the people you encounter, with your workplace, with your worship um, service, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, you will discover that forgiveness will lead you in community with other people. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. And I think with the change of our government, I'm excited. I did not vote for Donald Trump. I'm excited because it brings change. It's going to make us think, what are the important things in life? Your, your families come from immigrants. I was an immigrant. All of America actually was immigrant. I don't think we have any Native Americans here, do we? All of us were immigrants. Donald Trump, too. So we're going to have to find a way forward we're going to have to find a way together. And one of the key ingredients to it is to forgive. As we have been forgiven. If you truly, if you truly mean what our Lord says in 
the Lord's Prayer, and the Sermon on the Mount, you will discover it will truly bring blessings to you and this entire nation, the whole world can change. So I, I want to tell you a little more about how this affected me. I then went to school, I joined the community, and for the last 20 years, I've joined Pastor Christoph Arnold that was formally started at Columbine. One of our speakers in this program is Detective Stephen McDonald. We go to schools all over America, especially here on the East Coast. We have been abroad to Rwanda. We have been abroad to Ireland, Israel, Iraq. But we find that actually our own nation, our own young people, we're hurting the most. We don't really know each other anymore. We don't look at each other. We look down here. When we drive, we look at our laps to see and grin. We do not know and communicate truly who we are with one another. Forgiveness isn't even part of the picture. And come Columbine, 1999, when two of the seniors, Harris and Klebold, came into the school and they were bullied. They had been treated badly, they came in and decided that they would do some damage in the school. We will get media attention. It's not, we don't care to live. Life is really bad. And they shot 14 people dead, 14 of their classmates. 24 were injured. They had this strange idea about God. One of the students was hiding in the library under the desk. Her name was Cassie Burnell. And they pointed the gun at her. She knew them. They knew her. We've met her brother. And they asked her, do you believe in God? This, this young lady at 17 said, yes, you know I do. Boom. There were several incidents like that where these two killers had this fascination with God, they couldn't forgive themselves. They couldn't forgive themselves. They took their own lives. And so what began in our schools all over America, you have it in your schools, are these lockdowns for active shooters. You practice in, should there be, an, God forbid, an active shooter in your class. So we go two or three times a week all over into schools. And one of our speakers is Detective Stephen McDonald. He's an NYPD officer. I love stories like that. He's an NYPD officer, a great guy. But you can see he has a tracheostomy. He has a machine behind him that breathes for him. He had to learn how to breathe again. He cannot move anything. His hands are on the wheelchair armrests. He can't even scratch his nose. He couldn't hold his boy, baby boy, when his child was born. He was a rookie cop in Central Park. And he apprehended a young 15-year, there were two young boys, and he apprehended them because there had been some bicycles stolen. And Stephen McDonald put his head down to pat the one boy down, and the other one shot him in the back. And then shot him again and again, three times. 
and left him absolutely for dead, paralyzed. They ran away. The police caught them and they took him to the hospital. It looked like he wasn't going to live. But one of his best friends, Father Michael Judge, who later died in the World Trade Center, said, no, 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 we're not going to stop here where the doctor said, it's useless, forget it, let's just give last rites. Took him to another hospital, and they saved his life. There he is, 30 years later, talked with him yesterday, and we, we continue to do assemblies together, and he says, he says, when he was recovering from the, those, from the not being able to think, not being able to see good, as he was recovering, as he had to learn how to breathe with a machine, as he had to learn how to re-talk, and he can only move his head, remember, he says, if I hadn't forgiven the bitterness, the anger, the revenge, the hatred that was in me would have eaten me up and would have done a better job than another bullet. And he comes and says those things and he forgave his young assailant who was in prison. And he wrote letters back and forth with his young assailant who, his, whose name was Shavod Jones. And after the prison term, they had agreed. He, the grandmother of Shavod Jones, the boy, and Stephen McDonald had agreed that they would go in speaking engagement to schools and tell them how forgiveness can be a powerhouse. Unfortunately, two days after Shavod Jones was set free, he was on a motorbike and fell off the back at high speed and was killed. So here is Stephen McDonald 30 years later. His wife, Patty Ann, had a child after he was shot. And, and Connor, that's his name, named after Cardinal O'Connor. Connor is now an NYPD officer too. It's an amazing story. What does it focus on? Forgiveness. What gives him the strength to keep going? Forgiveness. And... This is the inspiration we, we bring to you in schools, but it also applies to us today in a church. Because without forgiveness, we might as well not talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Sermon on the Mount. If we are not willing to forgive, but forgiveness takes courage. Forgiveness is tough. Forgiveness is not a, a thing for the weak. And it's like Nelson Mandela said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that your enemy will die. Think about that. It's like drinking poison and hoping your enemy will die. And Desmond Tutu in South Africa, without forgiveness we have no future, he said. An amazing statement. He pins the entire future on this one topic, Forgive us our sins as we would be forgiven. And I don't know if you read some of the old classics of the old day. One of my favorites is Alan Payton's book, Cry the Beloved Country, which is on South Africa pre-Nelson Mandela's time. And he, he said, there's a hard law. When an injury is done to us, we never recover we never recover 
until we forgive. So if something has been done to us, okay, your spouse, your girlfriend left you, you got beaten up by a gang, you did drugs, if an injury has been done to you, you tried to OD, you even tried to commit, if an injury has been done to you, you will not move forward until you forgive, which means you may need to forgive yourself. You may need to forgive him, the big one upstairs. You may need to forgive the perpetrator, your mom, your dad, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. It won't work any other way. We've talked to hundreds of thousands of students, and, and we know what it's like. Our country at the moment is strapped with problems. Young people are too much directionless. They don't know where to turn. They turn to the drugs. They turn to other addictions. They turn to violence like MS-13 down in Long, Long Island. And it's detrimental not only to the nation, not only to the schools, but to themselves. And so this is where we, what we try to do, it simply is the message of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard, and I'm sure in your studies of history, of a priest, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was uh, a priest in Nazi Germany, and he spoke out against Hitler, and he spoke out what was happening in the churches of Germany, that that Nazism was taking a hold of the churches too. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he came back from his visit to America, felt he needed to really speak out even more. He made an attempt on Hitler's life. He joined an, uh, an, a little program that tried to take Hitler's life, a bombing in an auditorium, which he later felt was the wrong move. He was caught. He was imprisoned. He gave his life. He was hanged right at the end of the war by the Hitler regime. But in prison, he wrote letters from prison. And in it, he said, I am sorry for trying to take, uh, take Hitler's life. Only God takes life. Only God makes life. Only God can take life. And I read that when I was in college, and I thought, wow, that's me. I need to follow that, that stand, even if it costs my life. Is it easy? Oh, no. It's the toughest thing on earth. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, very worthwhile reading. And I, I want to explain to you that this man, he not only was influential in, in his own life and in the circles that he moved, moved in. He was influential for generations to come, and he still influences people. But the nonviolent way is what forgiveness ultimately leads to. It leads to a nonviolent way. You may have heard of a film called Sawback Ridge, have you? There's, there's a film out that you may want to watch. It's, it's got a lot of violence in and bloodshed. 
It's Mel Gibson. But it's about a man, Desmond Doss, a true story, who felt he cannot, as a Christian, carry a weapon. I can't. No. I want to serve my country. I love my country. I'm allowed to vote the way I want. I'm allowed to say what I like. I can walk freely down the street without being incarcerated or without being bullied. I love my country. I want to serve it. How can I serve my country? But I do not, my, my faith does not allow me to carry a weapon. And Desmond Doss enrolled in the army in World War II. Wouldn't you know, he took all kinds of heat from his platoon. The men couldn't understand why Desmond is behaving the way he does. Hey, coward, why don't you take a gun? Come on. And they beat him up, and they abused him in all manner of ways. Even the sergeant that was in control of his platoon was down on him. However, he stuck to his faith. He stuck to what he believed in. And he went to war, and he, was, and he went overseas, but he didn't carry a weapon. And what that man did for his company is unbelievable. Without a weapon. He saved, he saved veteran after veteran. And he, in the end, received the presidential highest medal of honor. A man who was committed to nonviolence. A man who believed in Jesus Christ. A man whose faith was everything. A man who said forgiveness is the answer to world's, our world's problem. Desmond Doss. So it works personally, and it works nationally, and it can save our whole world, I believe. So this is our message. This is my message to you today. We cannot divorce ourselves from the Sermon on the Mount. It cannot be a different message outside this building as it is inside the building. It has to be the same. It has to be uniform. Otherwise, we are no better than the hypocrites of Jesus' time. And it's really important for us to remember that. And remember, too, that in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, it says, so as John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, the whole of Judean countryside, the whole of the Judean countryside, and all the people of Jerusalem, they went out to him. They confessed their sins they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins in the Jordan River. What an amazing movement. Then came Jesus Christ. And after he went up to heaven again, the disciples said, so what shall we do? What shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter the apostle said, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 of them were repented, repented and were baptized for the forgiveness. That's how our new Christian faith began. And it's an amazing story. 3,000 may not feel like a whole lot of people, but it's spread out from there ever since. Christianity is still alive and kicking. And I want, you, I want to um, tell you an interesting thing. Two of our sisters are in Mafrak, Jordan. 
right now. Mafraq is right on the border between Syria and Jordan. It's a huge refugee camp. Thousands of refugees are pouring into this refugee camp in Mafraq, Jordan. Many of them are secret Christians. And our sisters are there helping to look after children. 150 children just in this one little schoolhouse. Many who have seen their parents killed in front of their eyes by ISIS. And they said a very interesting thing. And that applies to you and me. Yesterday on the phone they said, you know what? It's an interesting thing that happens. When ISIS stops people, they don't ask. They do not ask. Are you Catholic? Are you Presbyterian? They do not ask, are you Jehovah's Witness? Or are you Baptist? They ask, do you believe in the Jesus Christ? That's what they're going for. It's as simple as that. We are all brothers and sisters in one faith, Jesus Christ. There shouldn't be Bruderhof. There shouldn't be Catholicism. There shouldn't be any other. We should just be Christians. It's the same gospel. It's the same Sermon on the Mount. It's the same Lord's Prayer. It's the same Apostles' Creed. And so here is this message of forgiveness, which is such a critical part to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It began long ago. It began long. You know that violence was there right from the beginning. You know the story of Cain and Abel. But you also know the story of Joseph. Joseph, coat of many colors, 11th son of Jacob. How he was abused by his brothers. He loved God. And he was abused by his brothers. And he was told, you're a, you're a dreamer. You're dumb. We do not want to associate with you as our brother. And they stuck him in a well. And the camels came by. The traders came. And they, one of the brothers had a bad conscience and sold him to the camel. And they sold him into Egypt. And Joseph, who loved God, kept loving God, kept following his precepts. And there's this wonderful Old Testament story of Joseph being second in command in Pharaoh's court. The grain had been gathered. All else was in drought. All other peoples were suffering, but the Egyptians and the Pharaoh's people were okay. They had stored up their grain at the command of God. And here he is, and his brothers come begging, please give us wheat. Please give us corn. We'd like to buy some. We'd our, our parents are dying of hunger. And he recognizes his brothers. What happens? He doesn't tell them at first who he is. They don't know. They haven't a clue. Can you imagine what must have gone on in his heart? He doesn't tell him. Sends the youngest brother back. Come back. And he comes back. And in the end, it tells us the God, in, the, in the Old Testament, that Joseph wept and he embraced his brothers and he loved them and he forgave them. 
and he asked after his parents, and he said the weeping and the sorrow and the joy was so loud and so strong that the entire court of Pharaoh heard it, came running in. What's going on? Hey, ho, hey. Amazing. A story of forgiveness. And that's, so forgiveness isn't anything new. We don't need to think, oh, a new invention. No, 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 no. Jesus put it into the Lord's prayer for a reason. God is always a God. God don't never change, the Negro spiritual says. He's always there, and he's always going to be the same. And whether Clinton is present or whether Trump is present, God is still God, and he always will be there. Sometimes he intervenes like he did in, in Belshazzar's court. He wrote on the wall, you have been weighed and found wanting. This thing is going to change tonight. And it did. That's historical fact. And he's still watching. He sleeps not, as we're told in Isaiah. So remember, this concept of forgiveness is so important. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man called Jean Vanier. He's still living. He's very old. But he started communities among the handicapped. Started in Canada, but it's now a worldwide movement. La Arche movement. Arche means um, ark, the ark of Noah. So these handicapped people come into a large community and they live together. And they worship together. They sing together. They eat together. They're handicapped. They need caregivers. The caregivers live with them. And these are called the Jean Vanier La Arche communities. And he went over to Rwanda. I don't, I've been in Rwanda. We did a program of breaking the cycle of violence through forgiveness in Rwanda. He, after his journey to Rwanda, he came back and he said, wow, this topic of forgiveness is so, so critical to man's existence, to the world's existence, that he, he made three points. The first one he said for his principles of forgiveness is, there can be no forgiveness of ourselves or others unless we believe that we are all part of a common humanity. If you don't believe in a common humanity, you're not going to grab this concept of forgiveness either. So we're all part of the human family. It doesn't matter whether you're Korean or whether you're German or whether you're Ethiopian. It makes no difference. We're all part of a common humanity. To forgive, number two, to forgive, he said, means to believe that each of us can change. Do you believe that you can change? Uh, I don't think he'll ever change. Yes, he can. If he's part of the common humanity, he can change. You can change. So, number two, we have to believe that we can change. Number three, to forgive means to yearn, to long for unity and peace. That ultimate treasure, that thing called peace can only happen if you forgive. True peace, true peace of heart can only happen if you forgive. And remember, forgiveness is a permanent attitude. The way you see something can be the problem. The way you see it can be the problem. It's a permanent attitude to forgive. 
So these are, these are really key issues on this topic of forgiveness. And I want to tell you that some of our speakers, not just Stephen McDonald, we have other speakers who speak on, who have come to this concept, I have to forgive. And I'll tell you another story. I believe stories illustrate what, what uh, God wants us. He used parables. We have one of our speakers who's a mom, Anne-Marie Deliso. Mrs. Deliso and her husband, Pat, live in Monroe uh, in New York. Pat, the husband, is one of the best-known football coaches in American high school. They've won states many times. However, their son, also Pat, at 16, 12 years ago, took his own life. He committed suicide. This mom, this courageous mom, now comes and speaks with us, with Stephen McDonald, on nonviolent conflict resolution through forgiveness. And she, she came to it this way. She realized... I can be at home, I can have the covers over my head, the blinds drawn, and stay in my room all day long. But she said, no, I've got to bring this message of my son Patrick out to other young people who are contemplating suicide. Do you know that suicide is one of the fastest growing problems in our nation's young people? Do you know that in middle schools, suicide, death by suicide has exceeded death by car accidents? We're in trouble. But Mrs. DeLisso, in an amazing, courageous way, brings through this, this concept. I missed all the flags. I missed all the red signs. I missed all the invitations, we call them, to, to helping my son Patrick. I missed them all. I was the mom. I missed them all. I didn't realize he was turning, that he was churning out of control in his mind. He was a champion wrestler. He was an honor student. He was much loved in his, in his class. He was, he was loved greatly. But inside, he didn't tell anybody that, it, that life was going out of control in his mind. He was clinically depressive, but he didn't tell anybody. So speak. Forgiveness, communication belong together. You cannot forgive without talking. I forgive you. I love you. And Mrs. Deliso comes and she speaks about her son Patrick. We have a mural of Patrick that goes up. And you know when she speaks about Patrick, he's no longer dead. He took his own life just outside his house with a rope. He duped all his friends. But, he, it was, but I don't think he really wanted it. He was a depressive. But when she speaks about him and tells his story, it's amazing what it does to other young people. They come flocking forward. They themselves have been contemplating suicide. Every teen goes through it in one way or another. Man, life is really nasty. But suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. You will get through it. Take the attitude, I have to work to let it go. I have to work to forgive. 
If you get, if you get that attitude in your mind and start working on it, ultimately it'll move things for you. It may affect others too, but it'll move things for you positively. And that's why today we speak to you about forgiveness. It's biblical. It's biblical. And you cannot go wrong by forgiving. You know, Martin Luther King, my hero, has written a number of books. And I'm sure you've seen the film King, or if you haven't, please do. He's, he spoke a great deal about forgiveness. He, he marched with students. He led different organizations and churches to demonstrate that African and black people in America need the same rights as everyone else. Koreans need the same rights as everyone else. Germans need the same rights as everyone else. Irish, it doesn't make any difference. We are all part of that human family, and we're going to have to forgive one another. And he said, when he was the, you know, he was he was taken, he was given the peace award in Oslo the Nobel Peace Prize, and in accepting it, he said the following. Listen to this carefully. Cowardice, cowardice, asks the question, is it safe? We may be asking that question now too. Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politics? Is it politically correct? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience, conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politically correct, nor popular. But one must take it. Why? Because it is right. That's why you are a Christian. That's why you worship. That's why we follow this concept of forgiveness. The sacrament of forgiveness is a gift from God. And it actually comes, I believe, from the Holy Spirit. And let us ask God to kindle that in us, that love of God that we are willing to give forgiveness a try. It is our special request that Jesus be near you today. May the power of forgiveness be powerfully alive in all of us. And I want to leave you with one very important little message. And this is a rather remarkable um, statement. And I'll explain to you how it happened. We actually don't know who wrote it. But I think it's one of the most profound visions and understandings of what true forgiveness is about. It was found in, in the Holocaust time in Ravensbrück, one of the concentration camps in Germany after the war. It was a note, and it lay next to a corpse of a little girl, something like a 15-year-old young girl. And on the note, it said this, Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. It was a prayer. 
Lord, do not remember all of the sufferings they have inflicted upon us. Remember the fruits we bear. Thanks to this suffering. Our comradeship, our loyalty, our humanity, courage, generosity, the greatness of heart which has grown out of all this suffering. And when they come to judgment, Lord, let all the fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. Amen. What a powerful statement. God bless, and I hope you take forgiveness. Give it a chance. Thank you.